Good morning, Keystone. How are you doing this morning? Um, if you, we're going to be taking communion together, celebrating communion at the, the end of our service together. Uh, we say that communion is a family meal he, here at Keystone, and so if you are a follower of Christ, whether you call Keystone home or not, we'd love to have you celebrate with us. Uh, and so if you didn't pick up the elements on the way in, if you want, just want to shoot up your hand, we've got ushers who are going around. Uh, just keep your hand up, and they'll hand it to you. Um, while, while they're going around, I, I just wanted to start out uh, by having kind of a special moment of just praying this morning. Uh, I would guess many of you uh, have seen the news of kind of some of the stuff that's happening uh, in Israel. And uh, we recognize as the people of God, uh, when we hear about war and rumors of war, we don't just read about it and find out about it and learn what, what's happening. But ultimately, we go to the one who is sovereign over the nations and we call out to him in prayer both grieving because of the type of effects that war brings on people's lives, but also knowing that he's the one who we look to, that when nations rage, he still says, be still and know that I am God. Uh, and so I wanted to have you just join in with me in, in a short prayer this morning before we start into the sermon. Father, we come to you knowing that you say the, the nations and the rulers of the nations, all of them are like a drop in the bucket compared to you. You're so big you're so glorious, you're so awesome. And yet, God, we recognize that in this world that's full of sin, there's still so much hurt and pain. And that that gets magnified when war happens, when attacks happen, that people get harmed and hurt. And so, God, we, we grieve with those who are, are grieving this morning. God, we pray that, that some of the things you would do is that you would protect the innocent that you would bring those who, who might be guilty to justice, that you would give wisdom to uh, rulers, uh, governors who are trying to make decisions in the midst of all of this. Uh, God, we pray especially for the people of God, the church of God, who is our family, who even as we take communion together this morning, we're reminded we're, we're part of not just Keystone family, but a family that expands across the world into the nations, including people who are Christians in Israel and people who are Christians in Palestine. And we want to pray that even in the midst of darkness, they would be light, light somehow to the people around them. God, we pray that you would ultimately bring peace because we long for the day when Christ returns and he removes all brokenness, all hurt, ends all wars and brings peace to this earth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, after a week off last week for our mission summit, we're going to be jumping back into Ephesians, and we'll be in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32 this morning. Uh, I want you for a moment just to think back over this past week and to think about your week as you look back on it. You're thinking about what, what, what happened this week, what did you do this week, what, what was good this week, what was maybe not so good just think about it for a moment. Maybe it's hard to remember even by the time you get to Sunday if you're like me, but, but just think about it for a moment. And, and I want to ask you, what difference or what impact did having a car or having access to a car that someone else could drive make in your life this past week? It, it made a really big difference, wh whether we realize it or not, be because here's what is the reality. It, it made it possible for you to drive to work. It, it made it possible for you to go and get groceries to get kids to school or to practice in sports after school. It, it made it possible for maybe your family to go to the New Holland Parade on Wednesday night or to go out to eat somewhere on Friday night and all sorts of other things. 
that, that in reality, our lives would look very different if we did not have cars or access to cars in some way. Now, I want you to think about your week again, and I want to ask this question. What impact did the gospel make in your life this past week? When you had an argument with someone in your family, what impact did it make in that moment? When you were putting the kids down to bed and it went from like peaceful fun to absolute chaos in an instant, what impact did the gospel make in that moment? When you were tempted in some way or fell to sin, what impact did the gospel make in that moment? When you were deciding how to use your time, what you were going to do in an evening where you didn't have anything, what impact did the gospel make in that moment? When something challenging came up at work or at home that you didn't expect, what impact did the gospel make in that moment? Now, if you're anything like me, that can be a convicting question to ask and try to answer because it can be hard to point to here's what difference the gospel made in my life this past week. Here's what impact it made in my life in the midst of whatever I went through. See, there, there tends to be this gap in our gospel where, where we can kind of probably very easily point to what difference it makes for our past. That, that our sins have been completely and fully forgiven by Christ, that we've gone from being God's enemies to being his children, that we are fully righteous, loved, and accepted because of what Christ has done for us. Like, praise God, the gospel is really, really good news for our past. And we can probably look out to the future and and pretty easily say what difference the gospel makes for our future. That in Christ, we've got a secure hope that death is not the end of the story but that ultimately Jesus is going to raise our bodies back to life one day. A hope that God is going to fully eradicate sin and heal all the brokenness in this world. Like, no more hurt, no more pain, no more tears, and we're going to live with God in a new heavens and new earth forever enjoying him. Praise God, the gospel is really, really good news for our future. But the gospel is also really good news for our present. And yet when we ask, what what does the gospel mean for right now? What difference does it make for my life today? This afternoon, tomorrow, what impact should it have? We can struggle to give an answer, I think. Do you you see that gap? Do Do you feel that gap? Does that gap bother you? Part of what Paul is doing in this second part of Ephesians, Ephesians 4 through 6, It's seeking to fill in the gap, to show us how the truths of what God has done for us in Christ are meant to impact our life right now in the day-to-day realities that we experience. He he wants to help us overcome the gap in our gospel by pointing out how the gospel impacts life right now, right now, in this moment. That's the big idea we have this morning as we look at Ephesians 4 17 through 32, that the gospel was meant to impact the way we live in the present. And so we're going to read these verses and and then try to look at uh, three different questions as we work through these verses. The the first one is this, why is there a gap in our gospel? Why is there this gap so often? How does that gap get filled in our lives? 
And then why is the gospel good news for the present? And so would you pray with me before we read God's word together? Father, we want to hear from you this morning. We desperately need your voice, your words to shape our lives. And so God, I I pray that as I speak this morning, that whatever is from you would hit home would encourage, would convict, would change, and whatever might just be simply from me would quickly be forgotten for good. God, please speak through your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The the first question we asked this morning is simply this. Why does this gap in our gospel exist? Why why does the gospel maybe sometimes or maybe even often make no difference in our present? And as we look at verses 17 through 24, I want to suggest four reasons why that is. Ultimately, that we forget the truth of the gospel. That's kind of the heading of this. But then four things we might forget that cause this gap to exist in our lives. First, that we forget we are new creations in Christ. In verse 17, Paul gives a pretty straightforward command where he says this, you must no longer walk or live as Gentiles do. He's, he's using the word Gentile there, not to describe their ethnicity as he did back in Ephesians 2, but he's using that word to describe what life was like apart from Christ, who they were apart from Christ, who we are apart from Christ. And he's saying, your life, my life, should look different as a result of the gospel. How we think about God, how we feel about God, and how we live, that it should look different. Now I want to ask, What is the reality that that command is rooted in? Paul's saying you should live differently. You should walk differently. What's the reality that command is rooted in? That in Christ, we are new creations, different people who really are able to live differently because of what God's done in us. It would make no sense for me to go up to a nine-month-old infant 
and say to that infant, get up and walk. Why? Because infants don't know how to walk. They only know how to crawl. But it would make complete sense for me to go up to a grown man who is crawling around on all fours and say, get up and walk. Because grown men ultimately know how to walk. It makes no sense for Paul to tell these Ephesians and us, don't live like Gentiles anymore unless we are no longer the people we once were, unless God has really made us something new in Christ. This is part of the miracle that happened at our conversion. That if you put your faith in Christ, you repent of your sin, put your faith in Christ. In that moment, God didn't just wipe away all your past sins and make you righteous in Christ. He didn't just promise you a home with him forever one day. In that moment, he made you brand spanking new, like a new creation. This is what Paul, part of what Paul hits on in 2 Corinthians 5.17 as well. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, what does that mean to be a new creation in Christ? We know in part it means that we've been given a new mind that thinks about God differently and thinks about how now we can live to please him, albeit we do that very imperfectly, where we no longer live in the futility of our minds, darkened in understanding, but now have a mind that thinks rightly about God. It also means we've been given a new heart. This is part of the promise that God made in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, as he talked about the new covenant in Christ coming. He was going to take our heart of stone and going to make it a heart of flesh that God could mold where now we we love God and desire God, albeit very imperfectly. This means we're able to live a new life in the present because of what God has done to change us. One of the reasons the gospel may have no impact on our present is because we've come to believe we can't really live differently in the present. And the reality that we are new creations in Christ means that because because of what God has done for us, we really do have power to live differently in the present. Second, we forget that we are called to imitate Christ in our lives. After describing the life of Gentiles who have not been saved, Paul goes on to say in verses 20 through 21, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. It's this picture of like being schooled in the life of Jesus, so that our lives end up reflecting and imitating Jesus in some sense. As a Christian, we we come to know the one who our lives are meant to be modeled after. Yes, Jesus is the perfect son of God, and he's also the perfect human. Like when we look at Christ, we see the blueprint for what God has meant humanity always to be, what, what it looks like to truly flourish and live as a human as God meant us to be. And so the more we come to know Jesus in and through the pages of Scripture, the, the more we're both meant to be awed by him and then seek to imitate him with our lives. And those things go hand in hand. Like the more awed and amazed we are by Christ, how he spoke, what he taught, how he lived, what he did, the the more we'll long for our lives to imitate him in some small way. 
Think for a moment even how you see this reality play out in the lives of children. Who do children pretend to be like? Like firemen, like policemen, like princesses, like superheroes. Why? Because that's who they're in all of. They're amazed by these people. And so then they put on the kind of pretend clothes and they imitate those people in their lives. I've seen this reality play out even in my own son's life. Where when we go to Dutch Wonderland, he loves to watch the diving shows that are there. Right? He loves to he's just transfixed by these divers who are jumping from like two stories up, doing flips down into the water. He's in all of them. And then do you know what happens when we get back home? He does diving shows. He does diving shows where he seeks to, in his own way, imitate what those divers were doing in that show. Because who we are in all of is who we will seek to imitate in our lives. This is the reality that's meant to be played out daily in the Christian life. That the more we stand in all of and amazed by Christ, the more than we desire for our lives to imitate his. And if our lives don't look any different in the present, often it's because we've both forgotten how amazing Christ is and forgotten that our lives are meant to conform to his. Third, we, we might forget that this new life we're called to live in Christ is actually a better way of life. We forget we're called to a better way of life in Christ. To imitate Christ and his life is better than just living for myself and whatever I want. Paul uses this image of what living a new life in the present looks like in verses 22 through 24. Look there, what's the image that he's using? He's using this image of put off and put on comparing it to like taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. It's this image of putting off old sinful ways of thinking, feeling, and living and putting on Christ and Christ-like ways of thinking and feeling and living. And I think this imagery here is helpful for two reasons, probably more than two, but, but I think of two when I hear of this put off, put on like clothing. First, it's helpful because it reminds us that seeking to live for Christ is a daily battle or daily endeavor. How often do you have to change clothes? Your answer should be to that every single day. Hopefully that's what your answer is, right? You got to put off old clothes, put on new clothes. And so in some ways, Paul is reminding us every single day we're meant to put off sin as we repent of it and fight against it and to put on Christ as we trust him and seek to obey him. It it would be really nice if that was just kind of a one-time thing, right? It, It would be really, really nice if there was just once in my life that I had to put off pride and put on humility, right? It's just a one-time thing, done, perfect, I'm humble now. Man, it'd be really nice. It'd be really nice if it was just once that we had to put off lust or self-centeredness and put on love, or put off envy and put on compassion, or, or whatever else you, you want to, to fill in there. But, but those things are daily battles, that in the same way every morning I wake up and I have to decide what clothes am I gonna wear, today, every morning you and I have to wake up and decide again, am I going to live for myself today or am I going to live for Christ today? Am I going to seek to fight back against sin or indulge it? 
Am I going to seek to trust in Christ and obey him, or am I just going to live with whatever desires I have and live for myself today? Second, I think this imagery is really helpful because it reminds us that to live for Christ is better, better than living for myself and indulging in sin. Do do you notice the new versus old contrast in that verse? Just think about that for a moment. New versus old. Paul's reminding us, even in that image, that the life we're now called to live in Christ is better than the life we once lived apart from him. I I recently bought a new backpack because my old one was kind of falling apart. And so a a couple weeks ago, uh, we took a flight and went somewhere, my wife and I, and I had to choose, well, which backpack am I going to wear? Go to the closet, and I've got my old tattered backpack that is hanging on by about one shred or one thread, I mean, and I've got my brand new backpack. Well, which one won out and did I wear? The brand new one. Why? Because it's better. It's better. And that's part of what Paul's getting at in this image. The life we're called to live in Christ, it's better. It's better than indulging in sin and simply following after our own desires. And we need to hear that because over and over and over again, we hear a message from the world that is different that says it's better if you just live for yourself. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not. It's better to live for Christ. This is the new life. Get rid of that old, tattered life. Fourth, we forget God is working to renew us. In verse 23, we see that the connection between putting off the old self and putting on the new self is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It's as we remember and believe the truth that we are renewed. Believing the truth that we're new creations. Believing the truth that we're called to imitate Christ. Believing the truth that the way life Jesus calls us to is better. But the verb to be renewed there is actually passive and should be something more like being renewed. And I think, okay, why does that matter, Kyle? Why would you point out grammar? Well, let me, let me put it this way. Imagine for a moment that I told you our kitchen is being redone. You might ask, respond to that and ask me, well, Kyle, who's redoing the kitchen? To which I would respond, uh, the person that I hired, because I'm not skilled enough, capable enough, or powerful enough to be able to redo our kitchen. And, And so when we read, we are being renewed in the spirit of our minds, we should ask, who's doing the renewing? Who's doing that? Who's accomplishing that? Who's bringing that about? to which the answer is God. That he's the only one skilled enough, capable enough, powerful enough to ultimately renew us day by day by day. And, and here's the wonder of that. If you're like, why does that matter? Here's the wonder of that. Because it means in your life and in my life, in the most ordinary, mundane, simple moments, God is working to renew you. Not just on Sunday morning when we're singing how great is your glory, how beautiful, right? Those moments, yeah, but also like when you're putting the kids to bed. Also when you're driving and you're stuck in traffic. Also when you lose the big football game. Also when things go, like in all those moments, God is at work seeking to renew us and change us. And if that's true, then how we live in the present matters. Because either we're seeking to join in the work that God's doing or we're resisting that work. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 is probably the most famous verse on this, where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in us. Therefore, we seek to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To which you might say, okay, all right, but what does that look like in my life? What does that look like? How do I do that? How do I bring the gospel to bear on my present? To which I think Paul is giving us an answer to that question in verses 25 through 32, that we seek to work out the truth of the gospel in our lives. We seek to work out the truth of the gospel, massage it into our lives and how we live moment by moment. Notice, that means to grow in this new life is work. We don't just passively sit back. Justification, God declaring us righteous in Christ, that's passive. We don't do anything. Glorification, God going to change us fully into Christ, that's passive. God does that. Sanctification, growing to be more and more like Christ, we, we, we work at that, knowing that ultimately it's God's grace that is also working in us, changing us. And I think Paul is pointing out here what this looks like practically in two ways. First, we seek to live according to our identity in Christ. We are meant to know and understand who we are in Christ. The way we grow is not by working hard in order to get an identity. Like if I, just, if I prove I'm good enough, then God will make me a new creation, or then God will choose me as his son or daughter. No, no, no. That, that, that's the way that growth happens apart from the gospel, where we perform and we work and we try and we hope that one day we're, we're loved and accepted as a result of how hard we worked. But, but the way of growth in the gospel is upside down, where we're given a new identity in Christ, and then we're meant to live in accordance with that. But by way of analogy, maybe you can just think of it this way. How did you become, if you are married, how did you become a husband or wife? You might think, well, I dated someone, I got engaged to them, all that. No, but ultimately, how did you become a husband or wife? By someone else declaring you to be husband and wife, right? Like in a moment, someone pronounced you, you are husband and wife, this is a reality. But after that, you didn't then just live like you were not husband and wife, right? Like just thinking, I'll just use my time however I want, my money however I want. No, you, you, you over time sought to conform how you live to that identity that was already placed on you. Seeking to work out what does it mean to be husband or wife in the day-to-day realities of my life, Right? And we're still trying to figure that out if you're married, right? Like, I'm 11 years in. Being a husband means I don't put the dishes in the sink, but put them in the dishwasher? Okay, yeah, right? There's an identity we're given that then we work out the rest of our lives. This is the same truth of how we grow in Christ, that we bring the gospel to bear on the present and then grow as Christ followers. Notice how Paul does this in in verses 25 through 26, or 32. I'll point out a couple examples examples. First of all, in verse 25, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Or in other words, don't lie, tell the truth. All right, that's pretty straightforward, right? That's one of the Ten Commandments. Seems obvious. But what does Paul do? He grounds that then in the truth of our identity. He says, why shouldn't we tell falsehood and said tell the truth? 
because we're members of one another. Like we belong to the same body in Christ. And last time I checked, body members aren't supposed to hurt other body members. Like my hand is not meant to punch my head. So too, we're meant to speak the truth and not lie to one another because we belong to one another in Christ. So he doesn't just give a command, he roots it in who we are. Or, or the second part of this list, verse 26 through 27, which is a command to control and deal with anger well. That when we get angry, we're not meant to have anger control us, but we're meant to seek to control it. A- and then why, we might ask. Well, because if we don't control our anger, Paul says, then we give an opportunity to the devil. And we don't belong to the devil. We belong to Christ. So why would we want to give Satan an opportunity in our lives? Or or we could go down to the one that talks about how how we should talk to other people in verses 29 through 30, that we aren't supposed to tear other people down with our words, but are supposed to build them up with our words. Man, is that one convicting. But notice then he tags on there, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why tag that on? Why not just say, don't speak bad words, speak good words? Because Paul is reminding us that everyone who's in Christ has the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit is ultimately seeking to build us up more and more into the image of Christ. And so if we're tearing people down, we're actually opposing the work of the Holy Spirit and grieving him. See how it's it's rooted in who we are. Rather than just saying, do this, don't do this, Paul is saying, this is who you are by God's grace. Now seek to live like that's true, day by day. Second, we can see we, we seek to work out the implications of the gospel in our lives. What does that mean? What does that mean, work out the implications of the gospel in our lives? If the gospel is true, and we believe it is, right? Like, we believe the gospel is true. If it's true, it has massive implications for our lives. And part of how we demonstrate we believe the truth of the gospel is by seeking to live out the truth of its implications. Maybe you can just think of it in this way. The the fact that I own one of these, an iPhone, has massive implications for my life, right? Like, I I don't walk around anymore carrying a disc man on me. I don't even own CDs anymore. Why? Well, because I've got Spotify on here. Why would I ever want one of those? I, I, I don't... Uh, have a home phone in my house. Why? Because I can call people on this. In fact, I don't even call people because I can text people, and that's just easier. I, I don't own a digital camera anymore. Why? Because this phone can take 10 times better pictures than whatever digital camera I owned in high school. See, this thing has massive implications on how I live and how you live. If that's true of a phone, how much more should that be true of, of the gospel if it's true? Right? Like, we, we believe God created us, and he doesn't need us or need anything from us, and we rebelled against him and wanted nothing to do with him. And instead of crushing us, he sent his son to die in our place, take on our punishment, so that we can be saved, live with him forever, and enjoy him forever. That's really, really, really good news, because without it, we're hopeless and done for. And yet it's good news that then should be worked out in how we live. This is, again, what Paul is doing in this list of put on, put off. In verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What can cause a thief or just a Lancaster County person who is stingy to instead overflow with generosity, seeing and experiencing how generous God is to us, experiencing that all we have belongs to him, that every good gift comes down from him, that he did not withhold what was most precious to him, his very own son, but freely gave him up for you and me, and that now he says he will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ. God is ridiculously generous. And if that's true, then we should be generous as well. And if we're not generous, then it might call into question, have we really grasped the good news of the gospel? Have we really understood it? Or or, or go to verse 31 through 32. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Show grace to other people when they wrong you. When they speak bad about you, don't slander them back. When they hurt you, don't hurt them back. Why? They wronged me. They hurt me. They criticized me. They were annoying to me. Why should I be kind and tenderhearted and forgive them? Because remember, Kyle, God in Christ forgave you. And his forgiveness covered over a mountain of your sins. Are are you really going to stumble over the molehill of someone else's sin against you? See, the the more we believe the gospel, the more it should impact our lives. We, We don't grow as Christians by believing the gospel once and then kind of moving on to other things. We grow as Christians by believing the gospel more, by growing deeper and deeper into it and having it shape and impact our lives. But then here's the reality. It's inevitable that as we seek to grow in Christ and bring the gospel to bear in the present, that we will fail and fall. That in fact, the more we seek to grow, the more we will probably see just how sinful we are. Like, I I don't realize how prideful I am until I actually seek to put off pride and put on humility. And then all of a sudden, I see pride popping up everywhere. It's like a sinister game of whack-a-mole. I hit it down in one area and just pops up in five other areas, right? Like, even as we read through this list, if we're honest with ourselves and not just reading it but letting it read us, our, our sin gets exposed. I mean, think about it. Think about verses 25 through 32. Do, do I always only ever tell the truth and never cover it up or just twist it a little bit so that I look better? Do I always see that all I have belongs to God and so seek to be generous with it? Not just my time, or not just my money, but but also my time and everything that God has given to me? Do, Do the only words I say speak, build other people up? Like, does everyone leave my presence and say, man, Kyle's words were so gracious? Or how often do my words tear other people down and grieve the Holy Spirit? Do I never get bitter, never fester over wrongs done to me? never talk bad about people behind their backs, and instead all I do is act with kindness and grace and forgiveness. See, as we seek to grow, inevitably we will be tripped up by sin. And yet as sin trips us up in the present and we fall, we ultimately fall back on grace. 
That's why the gospel is really, 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 really good news for our present. Because when we fall, we fall back on grace. That when we fall to sin in the present, we remember our past is covered by Christ. Including not just our distant past, but our immediate past and how I sinned this morning. That that we remember, we fall back into the finished work of Jesus and remember it's what he's done for us that saves us. We remember that it's through his work that God's favor and love is secure. And that no amount, listen, no amount of your sin or my sin can undo what Christ has already done for me. Man, that is really freeing. Because it means you and I are free to seek to grow in the present. And when we fall flat to sin, we know that God is there to grab us in his arms of grace and remind us of who we are because of Christ. And as we fall to sin in the present, we also look to our future in Christ. We remember that slowly but surely, God is transforming us into the image of Christ. And so here's the wonder, actually, that even as we fall to sin, by God's grace, we're falling forward, not backward. Because God really is working to conform us to the image of Christ. As, as Paul says in Philippians 1.6, God began a good work in us. We know he's going to bring it to completion one day. And because we believe that's true, we keep repenting of sin, we keep trusting Christ, and we keep seeking to live in, truth, or in line with the truth of the gospel. But both of those things are part of what we remember when we celebrate communion together. That, that we, we, as we eat and drink, we're looking back to what Christ has done for us in the past. He shed his blood and gave his life for us. And we're saying that past act that was done like 2,000 years before you and I were even born, that matters for our present right now in this moment. It matters because you and I are not defined by all the ways we've sinned and fallen short. But we're ultimately defined by Christ's blood. Right? We just sang this, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Here's what I want us to do for a moment before we drink together. I I want you to think back with me over your week again for a moment. And I want you to think of what's some way that you sinned or fell short. There's probably thousands of ways that happened in this past week. But just think for a moment of your past week, what's one way that that I sinned and fell short as I think about it? I think about, man, I can't believe I fell to that or that I did that or I thought about that person or responded to that. Just just think for a moment. If you need to confess to God, feel free to, but, but just think about it for a moment. Now I want us to drink together. And remember, as we do, God does not see us according to those sins. None of them. But rather, he sees us according to the blood of Christ as forgiven and cleansed. When we celebrate communion, though, too, I'd say we're we're not just looking back. We're looking forward to the day when God will make us completely whole again. Right, saying, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. That we believe there's a day coming when the true reality of who we are in Christ is fully revealed. When the gap between what God says of us and how we actually live in the present is just gone in an instant. And all that's left is we are standing, staring face to face into the one who died to save us. This is what John gets at in 1 John 3, 2, where he says, we're gonna see him one day. And when we see him face to face, in that moment, we will be like him. That day is coming for us because his body was broken for us on the cross. And so I want you just to think for a moment, look out to that moment and think about what that's going to be like to be completely whole, to have the gap removed, and to be fully like Christ. Now I want us to eat together as an act of faith, knowing that because Jesus' body was broken for us, that day really is coming for us. Father, we praise you. Praise you for being the God. Salvation belongs to our God from start to finish. God, we praise you that you don't just save us and then kind of let us stumble through this life. Rather, the work you begin in us, you are working to complete. God, I pray that we would be people who believe the truth of the gospel and who bring it to bear on our present, understanding how it should shape how we relate to friends, how we parent, how we love a spouse, how we handle difficulties at work, how we walk through suffering and more and more and more. And that as we do, we might shine a light for Christ where people see our lives are different, not because we are great, not because we have done anything, but because of Christ and what he's done for us. God, would you do that in and among us? I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.